You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. So Winston Churchill first coined the term special relationship to describe the alliance between the United Kingdom and the United States back in the 1940s. So what happens when two of the largest communication companies in the US and UK merge? It's bound to be special, right? Today is May 9th, 2023. I'm Alice Carruth and this is T-Minus. Viasat's proposed acquisition of Inmarsat gets the green light. Swiss startup Clearspace contracts with Ariane Space to launch its first debris deorbit mission. NASA releases a draft request for proposals for a vehicle to deorbit the International Space Station. And stay with us for the second part of the show, when our host Maria will be discussing space industry workforce development and careers with our guest Jack Madley, co-founder of Ebona. On to today's Intel briefing. The world might be facing a global recession, but it's not deterring two of the largest communication companies who are looking to merge under a $7.3 billion deal. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority has officially given its blessing for US communication company Viasat and rival London-based Inmarsat to proceed with their proposed union. It's not a done deal yet, but it's certainly a leap in the right direction. The proposed deal was announced some months ago, but today's decision comes on the heels of criticism from organisations such as the European Commission that stated in February it was launching an investigation into the merger, claiming that it reduced competition in the market. It's worth noting that the UK government had already green-lighted the deal on national security grounds, concluding that the merger would not pose a risk. So what are the companies saying after the announcement from the UK's Competition and Markets Authority? Well, Viasat's chairman and CEO, Mark Dankbo, says the decision validates Viasat's position that the combination of the two companies will strengthen competition in a dynamic market that continues to attract substantial levels of investment. And Inmarsat's chief executive officer, Rajiv Suri, echoed the sentiment, 
adding that it's hugely significant for the UK's space ambitions and customers everywhere. Both companies have further regulatory approvals to get through before the merger will complete, and we expect an update soon. And staying with power partnerships, Swiss startup ClearSpace has contracted with Ariane Space to launch its first debris deorbit mission. ESA signed a contract with ClearSpace in 2021 to remove the Vega secondary payload adapter, known as VESPA, from low Earth orbit and drag it down to the Earth's atmosphere, where both the VESPA and ClearSpace 1 vehicle will burn up. The launch of Ariane Space's Vega C rocket with ClearSpace's payload is not expected until 2026. And speaking of space debris, NASA has released a draft request for proposals for a vehicle to deorbit the International Space Station. The spacecraft, known as the United States Deorbit Vehicle, would dock with the station and perform a controlled re-entry of it. NASA has budgeted $180 million for the next fiscal year to start working on deorbiting the ISS, which will conclude its mission in 2030. US space company Momentus says it's achieved the first orbit raise of its Viagrade 5 spacecraft using a microwave electrothermal thruster that uses distilled water as a propellant. The manoeuvres raise the altitude of the Viagrade orbital service vehicle by more than three kilometres. Momentus says that the orbital altitude raises are an integral part of the company's transportation service offering that aims to deliver customer satellites to precise and custom orbits. Multiple stories on commercialization programs from the US Space Force today. Space Force is considering proposals from satellite makers for the Space Test Experiment Platform, or STEP 2.0, as reported by Space News. The goal is to use commercial spacecraft with a track record of successful flights to host payloads sponsored by the Department of Defense over the next 10 years. The first order to be awarded will be a 12U CubeSat set to launch in 2025. These compact satellites are well-liked due to their cost-effectiveness, quick development and ability to launch as secondary payloads on bigger missions. They can serve a variety of purposes, such as Earth observation, communications, scientific research and demonstrating new technologies. The STEP 2.0 program seeks to use affordable commercial buses, especially ESPA-class rings, to bring together as many small satellite experiments as possible on a single platform. ESPA-class rings or evolved expendable launch vehicle secondary payload adapters make it possible to launch multiple small payloads in one rocket. The adapter acts as a link both structurally and electrically between the main payload, secondary payloads and the launch vehicle. Vendors chosen under the STEP 2.0 Indefinite Delivery, Indefinite Quantity or IDIQ contract will compete for orders to build spacecraft, integrate payloads with launch vehicles and provide ground support for in-orbit operations. The Space Force has also announced the creation of a commercial space office to better integrate commercial capabilities across its operations. Led by Colonel Richard Nisley, the office will focus on developing a framework for a commercial augmentation space reserve by this summer and expand the space domain awareness marketplace. The Commercial Space Office will be headquartered in Chantilly, Virginia, and aims to strengthen partnerships with commercial entities and streamline integration of their capabilities into the Space Force. Initial priorities for the Commercial Space Office include transitioning the Commercial Satellite Communication Office away from the Defence Information System Agency 
and setting up a working capital fund by the end of September to make a deliberate investments in commercial ventures that cater to warfighter needs, collaborating with the Pentagon's Defence Innovation Unit and Naval Research Lab. And one more from the Space Force. Our heartfelt congratulations to Chief Master Sergeant John Bentevegna, who was announced as the Space Force's next top enlisted leader. Bentevegna will become the second person to hold the title of Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force since the newest branch of the US Armed Forces was created in December 2019. JAXA President Hiroshi Yamakawa has expressed interest in increased collaboration between the Japanese Space Agency and Australia, aiming to push human presence beyond the moon within this decade. At the Anti-Thomas Space Foundation dinner in Adelaide on May the 8th, Yamakawa highlighted existing cooperation in space science missions and the International Space Station and proposed expanding collaboration in Earth navigation and observation satellite systems, communication systems and ground segment efforts. The European Space Agency has awarded a contract for the Lunar Geology Orbiter mission to an international consortium led by Czech company TRL Space. Lugo aims to explore the moon's geology, understand the age of volcanic activity and detect lunar caves. The 200-kilogram orbiter is expected to reach the moon by 2030. Its sensor suite includes a mapping LIDAR system, an Italian ground-penetrating radar, a Finnish hyperspectral sensor and a narrow-angle camera from Estonia, truly an international collaboration. The final mission design will be presented to ESA by the end of 2023. That concludes our briefing for today. Make sure you check out the selected reading section on our website for more information on the stories that we've covered and some that we missed at space.n2k.com. Hey, T-Miners crew, our audience is growing rapidly and that's a big thanks to you. If you're just joining us, be sure to make sure you follow T-Miners Space Daily in your favourite podcast app. And also do us a favour, please share your favourite episodes on social media. It helps professionals like you find the show and join the crew. You can find our social media profiles in the show notes and at space.n2k.com. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our featured interview today is with Jack Madley, co-founder of Avona on space industry, workforce and development and careers. Hi, my name is Jack Madley. I'm one of the co-founders of Avona. We set the business up in 2018 with the mission to become the go-to space industry staffing partner across the UK, Europe and the US. So now nearly five years on, we've grown the business from four people to 60 people and we're still scaling. Excellent, Jack. Thank you so much for joining me today. So what trends have you been noticing in terms of talent acquisition in the space industry? 
Definitely more recently, people are transitioning to taking their products, which have been working on in an R&D phase uh, for taking a concept through to reality and really looking to take that product to market now, be it a piece of hardware, a piece of software, or utilizing satellite data where they've been building up potential applications if we're looking at the downstream side and how people use satellite data and taking that to market now. So we definitely see more demand for the non-technical side of things, if you like. And that's a real massive opportunity for anybody looking to get into the space sector who might not necessarily have any space sector experience because you know, to be a good salesperson, to take a product to market, to take a solution to market, um, you can definitely have transferable skills from other, other sectors. And there's obviously a certain type of sales ability that you need and a certain way of doing things, which doesn't necessarily mean you have had to go and work from other space companies. That's definitely interesting. And similarly, across other different functions, we're seeing a massive rise in terms of people uh, on the legal side, the compliance side. We see on the operational, the HR, the finance, project management, program management side of things. So, yes, some more of the non-technical side of things. People just think engineering uh, and technology when they think of the space sector, I think. And obviously, astronauts, that's the classic cliche uh, that space is just astronauts. But it's definitely, you know, how do we take these products to market? How do we, how do these businesses then become more established, take up to the next, take themselves up to the next scale of growth? And they obviously need the operational side to, to be able to do that as well. Because it's a young industry. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that now. A lot of companies have set up in the last three to five years. How do they take the next step and take them to the market and really scale their business? That's fascinating. It's to see the maturity of the market sort of reflected in the, the job opportunities that are being provided there. If I was already, say, in the space industry and I was looking to make a move, is there something you would recommend to someone like me? I suppose it does depend a lot on what kind of work I'm doing. But are there certain things that you recommend to people who are trying to maybe move up on the ladder, specifically within the space industry, that maybe an event that they should attend or some kind of networking tip or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, I've got to say, get in touch with Ivona as a, as a talent <laughs> partner and see what jobs we've got available because all we do is partner with space companies. So please do reach out. But there's definitely a very open and welcoming community within the space sector and the space industry. There's multiple events. I myself have been to the Small Sat Conference in Utah last year. I went to Satellite in DC. We've got obviously got the Space Symposium. So these are all massive events. The main players in the market and up-and-comers and new businesses, they all have a part to play in those events. I do think those events are really well-structured for having, you know, as far up as the primes attend, as well as very, very early stage companies. So if there, there is an opportunity to kind of walk the floor, so to speak, expose yourself to different companies and get a real feel for what these companies are doing. And everyone's very welcoming, very keen to kind of tell you a bit about what they're doing and be confident in saying it's probably, if not the most exciting sector out there. We truly believe that here at Avona, that, you know, you're really working with companies who are doing bleeding edge stuff, pushing the boundaries of what's actually possible, coming up with stuff that people wouldn't even believe was going to happen, you know, five, 10 years ago even. So yeah, get, definitely the event side is, is the way forward. And then the other thing I think is more exposure on any networking tools that you can use. LinkedIn is obviously a, a go-to, but, you know, make sure your profile is up, is ready to go to be able to take to market if you really want to, really want to explore something new within the space sector. Absolutely. Now, when you're uh, talking to people who are, you know, trying to work their way through, find that next role, their next step in the career, are they hitting... Are you seeing any common threads and barriers that people are hitting? We've definitely gone through a bit of a, a stage where we had the pandemic. I don't really want to talk about it. I know not a lot of people do want to mention <laughs> it anymore, but we obviously went through a, a period where everybody went remote. 
then everybody came back to almost like a hybrid. You know, some people wanted to, wanted to stay remote. Some companies are able to accommodate remote working, but then, you know, if you're looking at more engineering and hardware-focused space sector companies, you know, if you're building a spacecraft, bus or whatever it may be, you know, often you need people on site. And I think that could potentially be one of the barriers. I think people have taken for granted sometimes that they probably have a bit more freedom and, and remote work than, than what we'd ever seen before. And it's just whether companies can can sustain that, uh, specifically for certain types of role. There's certain jobs which you can do remote, you know, remotely all the time and it doesn't really impact anything. But when you have to get hands-on with hardware or program a board or, or do soldering on a circuitry piece, you know I mean, this is what it is. You have to be on site to do that. So that's one of the things is just understanding what part of the market you're entering, what type of job you're going to be doing. And, you know, whether you need to be on, on site in that particular thing, and it, it may be a case of you having to relocate. That's definitely one of the things that we're, we're noticing now as, as more companies try to battle with that balance of the remote versus on-site working piece. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's not surprising at all to hear. Um, one thing that's been really interesting to me in discussing the growth in, from new space is sort of the role that education's been playing in, in trying to feed the pipeline do you see that reflected in terms of who's coming up into the space industry? Maybe more people with educational credentials that perhaps didn't exist uh, up until pretty recently that are more relevant to the space industry than ever before? Uh, I think we could see that there's definitely some positive action being taken to educate the younger generations around the opportunities within the space sector. I would say, unfortunately, though, there is a gap. I think People are putting a lot of effort. We pride ourselves at our own going into schools and talking to, and do STEM events, speaking to, to undergraduates and, and college students, et cetera, about you know, the opportunities and what, what jobs they can really get. And again, you know, touching on that, you, know, you don't just have to be an astronaut to be in, in the space sector. There's lots of opportunities uh, across the board within the sector. But, and we're, we're starting, you know, a lot of our guys go into to schools, even at almost like primary and you know, ages five to 10 and, and teaching people about satellites and, and, and you know, putting paper satellites together, you know, get them in hands-on involved and understanding that stuff. And there's definitely stuff, and I would say, of course, you, we've been involved in events across the US, Europe, and there's a lot of stuff being going on. But unfortunately, there is there is already that gap of there's not enough talent coming into the sector because it's something in which we're probably, it probably needed doing five to 10 years ago, but there was a bit of a gap. But again, it's, it is, the new space industry has exploded over the last few years. And you know, that, that has organically created a gap. So there's a lot more work to do. And I think, you know, but there's always more you can do in this situation. I think companies have really got to be understanding of what they can do to open up their talent pools, or open up the candidate pools as wide as possible to give people as much opportunity as possible to kind of enter the sector. I think companies, if they do want to grow, need to be a bit more flexible in terms of the types of backgrounds they're taking on. Uh, because otherwise, people are just taking people from other companies. You know, everybody wants to hire the best candidates, obviously. But currently, there's not enough to go around. So the only way is getting more people in. So, yeah, there's some good work being done, but there's definitely more we can do. Oh, that's a, such a great point about, I was going to ask, and you kind of anticipated it, what your advice would be to companies that are looking to hire. It sounds like maybe opening the net a little wider. Anything else you would advise to companies that are on the hunt for in a very competitive field? I think... It's just understanding there are certain roles which you absolutely will need some space or satellite experience for, space sector experience. And, you know, sometimes that's just like a non-negotiable. But there are lots and lots of areas where you really can look outside the space sector to bring people in. And, you know, the great news is, you know, what that does is bring diversification. Different people of different backgrounds, different industries. You may get people from medical devices, for example, or someone's 
worked in defense who wants to transition into space and kind of tweak their skill set. You with that, you bring different ideas and it's usually outside of people's networks. You know, when people scale companies, people usually build it on their own referral networks and the people that they know. But one of the kind of traps that the, a company can fall into is that you come to transition one culture from a company to another. Uh, and that's not to say, you know, that's a bad thing. You can bring the best parts from another business into, into your own and kind of grow that business. But in terms of that diversification bit, the diversity bit, you, you, you know, bringing people from lots of different backgrounds is a massive driver to that success. And it will allow people to hire more people, better people, uh, more diverse work and talent pools. So I think that's something to keep an open mind on. Thank you, Jack. That's some great advice. I really appreciate that. I want to give you the form. Anything you want to add before we close out? Any advice to either job seekers or companies that maybe we didn't touch on yet? Yeah, it's a very exciting place to be. And people just say, like, don't be put off by the fact that you think that there's there's not an opportunity for you in the space. Sector. There's an opportunity for everybody. So just get out there, have the confidence to get involved and, and, and see where it takes you. Jack, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. What does space and sport have in common? Other than the fans' passion and the drama, of course. Well, ESA says that space can help with monitoring economic benefits and safety as well. The European Space Agency is partnering with UEFA, the Union of European Football Associates, Uh, That's real football, by the way, not that chuckball game called football in the US. ESA plans to use space data to identify the benefits that a stadium can bring to its local community. The partnership also aims to combine satellite images with socioeconomic data and other information such as weather and irrigation to identify the effects of the presence of a football pitch to the local communities and federations. It is the beautiful game after all, and it only makes sense that space wants in on it. That's it for T-minus for May the 9th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K podcasts like T-minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was mixed by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Carf. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Alice Carruth. Thanks for listening.
And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. <laughs> 